This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 548. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me once again. This is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. And on this week's show, the government initiative that could protect Australians from text scams. The National Electric Vehicle Strategy has been formulated, but will it be enough to boost EV sales? And Optus is deploying an AI voice assistant to make getting support faster and easier. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Samsung 2023 OLED TV. We'll also run our eye through the LG range of 2023 TVs released last week and the new Prime Video Accessibility feature that will allow people to enjoy their movies and TV shows even more. And we'll answer all of your tech questions, of course, in the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, how often do you hear about scams? It's an everyday thing. Do you remember years ago when it was something that happened to other people and as as time went by, as more people accessed their – had smartphones and had uh, computers and they're connected to the internet and hasn't it just gone through the roof? The whole idea of internet security years ago – was the worry of getting a virus or something infecting your computer. That's that's still an issue today, don't get me wrong, but the talk now is all around scams and how they're ripping us off. Australia lost more than $3.1 billion. That's B, billion with a B in 2022 alone, $3.1 billion, which is a huge jump from the previous year. Now, what really got scams into another gear was the COVID was the COVID lockdowns and and everyone looking online for information and the scammers just went went wild during those couple of years, and unfortunately it hasn't died down. There are even more scams out there, and they're becoming even more elaborate. Now you think about what happened recently with with the Optus breach, Latitude Financial, the the Medibank private as well. A lot of the information data that might not be enough to steal your identity or to take out a a loan in your name, but it's enough for a scammer to target you with with information that is a bit more believable. So for example, if it was my information out there and they said, hi, Steve, we know your birthday's in February, here's a special for you, or we know you live in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. So this is the information that tries to make that phishing email or text message even more believable. Now, the other thing that makes SMSs even more believable, scam text messages, is the fact that the text messages appear, even though they're scam text messages, appear in the same thread on your device as the legitimate text message. I'll use Australia Post as the example. 
If you've in the past received a message saying, your package will be delivered today between 1 and 3 p.m., and you think, right, you're expecting something, you, you click on a link and it tells you, you you're expecting it, you're the, the, the number, and a, a scammer now has the ability to imitate that header and appear in that same thread. So if you, when you get a new uh, email, a new text message that's from a scammer, because they've got that information to to use the same header, it's going to appear in the same thread. So they're really going out of their way using some technology to make you think that it's legit. And people tend to think, well, this is this email came, this message came right below a, a message that I know is real. So this one must be real as well. Well, guess what? It's not. And the government is even stepping in here. They're going to set up a new registry to help Australians, to protect Australians from being scammed via text message. This, the, the, today, in, it's Monday here in, in Sydney. This announcement was made today by the Albanese government. They're going to set up the SMS sender ID registry. Now, this comes after nearly half of all Australians being receiving at least a scam text message. Not all of us were scammed, but more than half of us received the text message, a scam text message. So it's more, it's more important than ever to try to combat this. So they've decided to do something, the government, and they've swung into action with these new this new SMS sender ID registry. So here's what will happen. And I used the example of Australia Post before, but from there using the header. So what will happen, you receive a legitimate text message from Australia Post with Post in the message header. So this this might be your regular notification to, to pick up a package or whatever you need to do, and that's all fine. Now, the scammers are able to copy that. So they, they spoof that Australia Post message header and so it'll then appear, as I mentioned, in that same thread. So if you can, uh, uh, this gives the uh, a scammer the ability to insert uh, a malicious text message with a scam link that looks like it belongs with the rest of your Australia Post messages. So what the registry will, will do is allow Australia Post and other companies and brands to register their sender ID with the, with the telcos. So they'll be able to then, if a message comes through without that specific sender ID, then it won't be allowed through. It'll be identified then as a scam. It's a step in the right direction. It's not gonna. It's not gonna stop all the the scams coming to us. It's it's not gonna do anything about email scams, which are one of the most popular places to receive a scam is a phishing email. Again, imitating Australia Post, imitating your bank. And all these other places. So a step in the right direction. It's apparently going to be the SMS sender ID registry will be announced as part of the 2023-24 budget. And the so the Australian Communications and Media Authority will be receiving more than $10 million over four years to create and maintain and run this whole SMS sender ID registry. So again, it's designed to help telcos make it harder for scammers to imitate 
these trusted and established brands and companies that are now using SMS. It's a very popular way for marketing. A company sends you an SMS. It's immediate. It's in your, your phone's in your hand all the time. It's an immediate way to contact people. Scammers thinking are thinking the same way. It's a real. Everyone's got a phone. We're an easy target with our smartphones, and hence the reason why the SMS sender ID registry is a good idea. So this is uh, it's going to be rolled out in stages. They're saying so it's going to be staggered before the whole industry wide model is established because they've got to set rules and guidelines and security measures. They've got to have that in place. But it will that it will be up and running before the end of the year. So after they hand down the budget, the registry will be also part of the government's already, which already exists, this national anti scam centre. With uh, that's between the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, uh, and this is a world leading public and private sector partnership to help. To, to stop scammers in Australia. I think uh, we, we've done well on the tech side to try to sort of stand out and try to reduce scams and try to reduce data tracking and all those. Australia is uh, putting their best foot forward there. Funny enough how the US is a little bit backward in this area because it's American companies like Facebook and Google that are doing all the data tracking, that are, that are doing all that. So uh, it is good to see that, you know, we've got nothing to lose. We want to we want to protect – the government wants to protect Australians and this is what they're doing. It's in some interesting stats that the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, did reveal. They said that text messages were the leading contact method for scams in 2022. 33% of scams were via text messages. That, that beat phone calls with the next down, 29% were phone calls. Reports about scam texts to Scamwatch increased by 18.8% in 2022. There were 79,836 reports of scam text messages. But here's the thing, though. 30% of victims do not report scams, including text scams. So the... You're thinking about that $3.1 billion, that is probably not quite the amount. I'd say add another 30% to that, and that's the real amount. So it is likely to be a lot higher than what it is. So this is, I think, an important important move by the government here. I think that's going to give Aussies a bit of confidence that they've got, that the government's got our back here. It has become... A ridiculous, uh, a ridiculous industry that, that that continues to thrive because they make so much money. The three point one billion, by the way, that's just in Australia. Australia only. Do you imagine what they're what they're pulling down in the US and other bigger countries with bigger populations? It is a lucrative industry that is going to continue to develop and improve and become even more sophisticated. So, the more government help, the more people and, and, and industry that can step in. Uh, technology companies as well, the better. I think we we need all the help we can get to battle against these bastards from trying to rip us off. If you want to read more, learn more about the SMS sender ID registry, check it out, techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Well, we're on another another story about a government initiative here, and this is uh, another that was announced by the Labor government, the Albanese government, the National Electric Vehicle Strategy. Nice words and nice initiatives. Nothing's happened yet, but the idea behind the strategy is to facilitate and encourage 
the take up of EVs in Australia. And of course, one of the, one of the things that needs to be done, two things actually that needs to be done straight away is to improve the vehicle affordability and also build out and improve the charging infrastructure. This is very much a field of dream scenario. If you build it, they will come. And in other words, if you build out this amazing charging infrastructure, people will buy EVs. The reason that the people aren't rushing in is because of that anxiety of, now, where the hell am I going to charge my car? They may not have off-street parking. They may live in an apartment building. They drive hours per day and there are no charges at their, at where they work or on the way. So all these things have to be addressed, and that's what this initiative is all about. The three key areas I mentioned, well, well, two of them I've already mentioned, increasing supply of affordable EVs uh, and, and improving the infrastructure, but also, importantly, incentivizing an EV purchase. Why, why, why would people want to purchase an EV that costs more than the petrol equivalent? Well, for a start, petrol is way more expensive than electricity. And if you've got solar panels and if you've got access to a charger, you're going to pay 10 bucks to fill your car up instead of 150 So that, that's a pretty good incentive. But it is also the states and territories around Australia who have uh, already, some already have offered these incentives where uh, I think in New South Wales, you, you, the stamp duty on, a, on an electric car that costs below 78000 is 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 wiped out so that you'd save up to... Uh, you're exempt from the stamp duty up to about $5,500 to save, which is great. So that's uh, that's another incentive there. But there's more. We need more. We need more competition. We need more uh, of incentive to to get people who are now looking at their next vehicles. A lot of people, people buy cars there all the time. And this this year, there'll be a lot of customers who are thinking, well, should we make this car our EV or do we buy another petrol car for now? Uh, so the, the lifespan of a car, whether you're leasing it or just buying it outright, normally on average about three, four to five years. So there, there's if, if you're buying a vehicle this year, then you're, you're going to have it till 2028 is the way that, we look, that people are looking at it. But if they can get into an EV this year, then, then that's going to take them into the future as well. But the, all this stuff needs to be in place. Now, part of this strategy is, of course, looking at, reducing, decarbonizing, as they've said, our transport system. And they're saying that passenger vehicles are going to be the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, emitters of carbon in, uh, in the coming years. And the, that, of course, that, that, of course, needs to look at, will, will force them to look at something else, which is improving or setting, would you believe, an Australian fuel efficiency standard. That there, was ne- there has never been a fuel efficiency standard in Australia, which I find really hard to believe. So by setting strict fuel efficiency standards, then this would encourage car manufacturers to want to sell more EVs and hybrids and more fuel efficient vehicles and to, to keep them under the imposed limit that, that it's going to be part of this strategy. So at the moment, EVs account for just 3.8% of cars sold in Australia. That was That's tw- the 2022 figure. Now I, I I think the 2023 figure could be well up to five six percent, but it's still quite low when you look at there's still that's not even there's still 96 percent of people that are driving regular fuel cars so EVs are still yet to get gain a foothold in Australia, 
But the thing is, though, the studies around this initiative, this strategy show that Aussies are willing to make the switch. They, there's a lot of people who think, yeah, I'm ready, but the it's too expensive or they can't get stock, they've got to wait a long time. The demand is there, but what's lacking is supply. And and what happens, see, car companies, it's like a game of chess. So the car companies are pumping out all the EVs from the factory. Where are they going to send it? They're going to send it to the countries that have more demand. So larger markets where those stricter fuel efficiency standards are in place, they're getting the stock. So Australia, good old Australia, where we never had any fuel efficiency standards, we're still waiting, and that that is that's what's got to change. That's what has to change. I think that the that I've been talking to several manufacturers about EV manufacturers about what they prepare, what they're planning for Australia, and the the thing they're doing is making sure ensuring there's enough supply when they release new models. Like we're going to see new models from BYD, MG have got another one down the track. I think we spoke about that last week. They're going to ensure that they get plenty of stock to meet demand so that people who want an EV can actually get an EV. That's another frustration. If they can't get it, they're just going to buy a petrol car and and, and drive that for the next 5 years. So this is an important thing that that needs to improve. Now, I mentioned before, the twenty by 2030, the government's saying that transport's going to be the largest source of emissions in Australia. So here is a uh, another incentive for them to promote EVs that'll help get the government to their target of 43% below the 20, 2005 levels by 2030 and net zero by 2050. We've got plenty of time for net zero. It's still quite a while away yet. But you've got to start somewhere. Now, here are some of the initiatives to encourage, uh, in, to increase supply of affordable and accessible EVs. So one is developing the fuel efficiency standard for new light vehicles, preparing for a recycle, reuse, and stewardship initiative for EV and other large format batteries. So this is another issue, end of life of a car, of an EV, what do you do with that bloody big battery? Now, these we've always been told in the year, and I've said it myself, recycle your, your, your e-waste, your, your phones. They, they come to end of life, and part of that recycling process is actually recycling the battery or safely disposing of it. What are you going to do when in 20 years' time, an EV might reach the end of its life. How do you reuse and recycle that? So that's something that we need to look at as well. Uh, they're also talking about state and territory EV fleet targets, you know, government cars. They've got to they've lead by example here. So, of course, they need to be increasing the number of EVs in their fleets as well. Now, on the system and infrastructure side, they're going to develop a new mapping tool to support investment and deployment of EV charging infrastructure. So you're going to see where people are buying the cars, where they're living, and where that'll determine then where they're going to put the charges, where they're going. Uh, they're also going to set up tools and guidance to enable EV uptake for residents of multi-residential buildings. So if you live in an apartment building, you might be you might be listening to this right now thinking, hey, Steve, I want to buy an EV, mate, but I've got nowhere to charge the bloody thing. So if you live in a, you might live in a big apartment complex where there you might have a car spot, but there's no charger in there. And the ideal thing would be to have a charger in your parking spot if you can, 
and then charge him out, charge your car overnight, and then all all good. And I suppose you'd have to work out a deal with the strata that you pay for the electricity to charge your car and your building, of course. So that'll that'll be part of the deal. But this takes time. It's complicated. People need we need to make these decisions. Now, I think I've told you this story before, but I remember four years ago I was in Paris with my wife. We were, we were uh, there for we were we, I went over for a Huawei launch, and we stayed for a couple of weeks just on a, for a holiday. And I noticed on the streets there were car there were parking meters everywhere. But what I also noticed is those parking meters were also charges. So if you park in the street, you can not only pay for your parking, you can also charge your car at the same time. It's this sort of thinking that we need to be looking at to help move the needle here. Now, on the on the on the demand side, so increasing demand in EVs, we need to look at uh, electric car discount amendments to fringe benefits tax and import duty. These are some of the existing initiatives. State and territory EV purchasing incentives, like uh, ACT government zero interest loans for up to fifteen thousand dollars if you're buying an EV. And these all add up to making it more conducive to investing in an electric car and, of course, making it easier for you to keep that car charged so you can go wherever you want and know that there will be a place for you to charge your car. Just like you know driving a petrol car, you know there's going to be a place to fill up. People need to have that sort of level of confidence before they actually make the move. If you want to find out more about the National EV Strategy, learn a bit more at techguide.com.au. Now tell me if you've been in this situation, there's something happening with your home internet or your phone service or something, and you need to call support. You dial in to a number. If, if, if you can find a number, a lot of the, lot of the telcos try to palm you off to a, an app or a website, but you ring up, okay? You're called up and let's use Optus as the example because they've released this new voice assistant that's powered by AI. So say you ring up Optus and I've done this many times. I'm no longer an Optus customer, but in the years that I was, I was on the phone and you ring up and say, welcome to Optus. And if it's your, if your, your issue relates to your internet, press one. If it's related to your home phone, press two. If it's this, press three. And you hit one and then, okay, if it's the home, a business, press one. So you've gone through like four or five different bloody menus before you can talk to the person you want to talk to. Well, that is now, with Optus at least, a thing of the past because they've got a new feature called Voice Assistant. So it's introducing this to make getting to the right support person quicker and easier. So now with Optus Voice Assistant, you just have to say, what you're calling about, you might say, I'm ringing up, I need uh, NBN support or I need help with my mobile phone plan. And the AI technology will then listen to that and then it'll do everything else, connect you then directly to the right expert. So no more advancing to the next menu, hoping you end up talking to the right person. If, if, it's in a, if you want to see your account, press three. If you want to make a payment, press four. And if you want to hear these, these options again, press hash. That is really annoying when you've got a problem that you need to be solved, that needs to be solved. So now this is going to help. And Optus says there's already, it's already starting to work. They've seen a significant reduction already 
in customers abandoning their calls. I've done this. I've abandoned the call thinking, this is too hard. Which menu? I don't know. And I, hang on, I'll try to go back one. And then they hang up or something happens and they abandon calls. But what Optus is noticing here with the AI voice assistant is that a huge reduction in those abandoned calls. So it seems to be working. It is. Uh, it incorporates Google Cloud's conversational AI platform called Dialogflow, uh, which can recognize and respond to customer requests and just make the whole experience better. Make it better. Make it faster. Let's do it. This is, uh, it, if you haven't heard the dialogue flow, it is quite impressive, the dialogue flow. I think they did an example they made a few, many years ago. One of the very, very first examples of this technology was the AI platform making a reservation at a restaurant. And the restaurant had no idea they were talking to AI. It sounded like a human, including the ums and ahs and, okay, I uh, know we can't, we can't fit you in on Tuesday, have a Wednesday. And the AI is going, okay, um, let me have a think. But, and it was absolutely frighteningly real. So this is the, the power of this platform, how it can actually recognize and determine exactly the right person you need to speak to. So really good. The days of, uh, if you want to speak to support, press one. Let Those days are over. Let's hope so. Optus AI Voice Assistant. If you want to find out more, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. It's a new year and our digital generation continues to see a rise in cybercrime and data breaches. Don't leave your devices without protection or your personal information open to exposure. It's time to have a plan to keep your devices and personal information protected. Save your time and money should the unthinkable happen and your devices are at risk to cyber threats like malware, ransomware, or viruses, or your personal information being exposed to cyber criminals looking to trade your details on the dark web. Introducing Norton 360 Platinum with device security, a VPN for online privacy, parental controls and identity protection with dedicated restoration support and dark web monitoring. You have a comprehensive plan in place to help ensure your information stays in private. It's peace of mind for your devices and your identity. With Norton 360 Platinum, if you become a victim of identity theft, you'll have access to their dedicated identity restoration specialists to help you address your identity theft claim and help you resolve it. Norton 360 Platinum is available now at Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, or online at au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. Kicking off our review this week is the Samsung 77-inch OLED TV. Now, this is a this is a big, beautiful television. Uh, it is very thin as well. It's 11.2 millimeters thick. There's a photo on my review on Tech Guide of it between my fingers. It is that it is that thickness, top to bottom. So it's pretty sleek. And being OLED, of course, has uh, it has a this new or well, an improved version of OLED technology. Samsung used to make OLED years ago in 2013 when LG and Samsung kicked off OLED TVs. LG, I think, kicked off earlier in the year. Samsung 
had a, I think had a like a prototype that they released later in the year, but they did sort of hit, they did start off the blocks about the same time with OLED. Now what happened was that LG they had a bit more success with OLED and success with OLED production. That that was the big thing. They they actually nailed the formula. I think Samsung either couldn't they were having a lot of failure rates with their OLED production. And they decided that you know what, let's let's stick to our to to LED and let's develop this beautiful new QLED technology with quantum dots and all that. And that's exactly what they did. LG hung in there with the with technology. We're going to talk in the next segment about the tenth generation of OLED panels and LG's twenty twenty three range. But it's really interesting to see that Samsung has embraced OLED once again. But it it, it, it is. It's funny because over the years where Samsung weren't producing OLED, they were very quick to point out the weaknesses or perceived weaknesses of the of the technology, including things like burn-in or the lack of brightness of the panels. And they did this, of course. It's it's competition. Their their main opponent, LG, were absolutely flying with OLED and have been for 10 years. And so this was their little dig at their rival's technology. And now, though, Samsung are in the game. Samsung are back in OLED. They love OLED again. And they're not mentioning, funny enough, the burn-in and, and, the, and the brightness issues that they did bring up when LG was producing OLED. They love OLED now. And with good reason. The TV's great. We'll get to the actual review in a moment. But the... The perception of OLED, still Samsung is positioning OLED as a format for a customer who who need who has a maybe a not as bright a room to view it in. They're they're still seeing OLED as not inferior, but different for different conditions in your home, which I I absolutely disagree with, by the way. The the I I view the 77 seven inch OLED. Spent the day in a hotel room with it, was watching all kinds of things and Star Wars and watching all Fox shows and everything I could watch. And there was a big, bright, open window. There was a, just like a thin, like a not quite a blockout curtain next to next to the TV, and it was fine. It was bright enough, very bright, in fact. And over the years, I've been reviewing OLEDs for ten years, including mainly LG OLEDs. And I've never, ever had an issue with brightness. And I've got it in a big open plan living area. Never once had an issue with brightness. And for that matter, never had an issue with burning. So it was like a bit of a Samsung, there was a bit of a scare campaign going on when they weren't producing OLED, but they love OLED now that they're back in the game. All right, let's talk about the TV now. The the TV I reviewed was the S95C, 77-inch model, this one. And you know what? It's nine thousand three hundred bucks. It ain't a cheap telly, but it's a bloody good telly. The TV uses the not only OLED self-illuminating pixels, but Samsung. What they've done again, their OLED technology differs greatly to LG's technology. What Samsung's done is sprinkled a little bit of quantum dot in there as well. So what they do is with, with the self-illuminating pixels. They do incorporate the the O the QLED sort of quantum dot technology in there. So, what the each self illuminating pixel they the Samsung OLED has three sub pixels. So quantum dot looks after red and green, and OLED looks after blue. 
And with that, they can achieve 100% color volume at every level of brightness. So it, it does incorporate. So it's OLED with a dash of quantum dot technology as well. So they've also got backlighting technology. That's sort of where the quantum dot part comes in. So that also differs from the LG formula as well. But again, first thing I noticed was this is bright. It's br- a bright TV. I don't know. The, I don't know whether people are, uh, are thinking, well, it has to be brighter than the sun. Which they look given their Neo QLED panels are very, very bright, way brighter than L- uh, OLED. But this isn't. This could be. I could have this in a bright room. It'd be fine. And I think Samsung even told me, you know what? If you draw the curtains, it'll make it darker if you want to. And I went, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll think about that. But it was fine. So this this whole, I think that's obviously their way of differentiating OLED from QLED. That's one d- differentiation. Their their approach with Neo QLED is it can you can view it anywhere, bright room, dark room, wherever you want. OLED maybe in a in a less brighter room, you can control the lighting for the bedroom, whatever. That's how they're distinguishing it. But as I said, brightness not an issue. Now, the quality here you're getting is stunning. Samsung, no, they've been the number one TV brand for 17 years. They know what they're doing. And the OLED color and black levels are there. Now, one thing I noticed, the black level of the Samsung OLED is probably about the same level as the Samsung QLED TVs, to be honest. It didn't quite have the same inkier blacks that an LG OLED had might have something to do with them involving the quantum dot technology and having an actual backlight on the OLED. But it's still what it allowed them to do was to have still have a very thin TV. That, that's one upside of OLED is that it doesn't really require a backlight, even though Samsung managed to fit in a micro backlight here. It does allow you to have a very thin and very, very nice looking television. But as I said, black levels were brilliant, but I think I I reckon LG's just got the edge on the black levels. It's it's not not much between them, but Samsung, in terms of I think they were sort of more focusing on not just the black levels, but also they wanted that brightness, they wanted the color reproduction and the which they achieved. The color reproduction is brilliant. Skin tones amazing. Looks real. That's the whole. That's what they wanted to achieve here. They wanted to be to look as good as not the, the LG OLEDs. They wanted it to look as good as their QLED TVs. So they, they don't care that if, if, if people, Samsung are looking after their own. They're not looking over the back fence at what LG are doing, although they probably are. But they wanted this to be as good as their own QLED TVs and stand out. So to look as good as their uh, as their other available their other available products in the range. Now with the I mentioned that they had the added backlight here. What that did, it it offers, it, it delivers bright, a really bright, really punchy image, which is incredible. But it also offers great high dynamic range. Now, HDR is when you can see a lot more tone, uh, different sort of levels of color in black areas, in bright areas. That's why that's called high dynamic range. And in fact, the Samsung OLED is the world's first Pantone certified HDR OLED, which is not a bad feather in the cap there. HDR really, if, if you've not seen HDR on a good TV and with, with the proper content, of course, you need to have 4K for high, high dynamic range. 
you'll see a lot more of of the of the TV show or the movie. So a lot of the a lot of detail in the dark areas of the screen. Like we were watching Game of Thrones, which is quite a dark show to begin with. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. We were through Star Wars on, of course. So we did notice that a lot of detail in the shadows. And and that's particularly good as well for not only watching movies and TV shows, but also for gamers. Gamers love OLED and being able to make out details in the dark, it's kind of like having a little bit of a competitive edge over your over your uh, who, who you, your enemy. So you you do need that. So we were seeing more details that you would have missed if you had not have had a TV of this quality of the, of Samsung's quality. There's also on board the neural quantum processor 4K, and that does the real real time color tone mapping, image upscaling. So what you're seeing on the screen is the best that it can be. Whether we're watching documentaries, TV shows, movies, sport looks great on it as well. Uh, it all it handled the color really well, solid brightness, really accurate colors as well. And I mentioned already, skin tones were perfect. Uh, there was some occasion where we did see some grain in the image, but I think that's probably more on the content side rather than the TV. So it probably was that way rendered in the content. It's it was some things weren't as crisp as we thought we would 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 see it. So there was a bit of noise and grain in the image. But as I said, it's probably from the content that we were streaming. We didn't watch any off a disc. Like off, watching off a disc is always a better solution for me. It gives you better bit rate, better color. You see, there's like another layer on top of that that makes it sharper and better. Didn't get you don't get that with streaming services, but it still looks spectacular. Though. I think people who are not going to probably see the difference. I my eye does, but uh, you, your average buyer, your average customer is going to think, "Wow, that is amazing!" And they're right. Now on the audio side, we did have the a soundbar, the new Samsung Q990C Q soundbar. So it was. Now, that's got True Dolby Atmos, DTSX, 11.1.4 surround sound. But the TV itself has eight built-in speakers. And it also includes OTS, which is object tracking sound, similar to what they have on the Neo QLED TVs as well. And that that sounded amazing on its own. Combine it with the, the soundbar and you're getting incredible sound, including Q-Symphony, which combines all the speakers together. The TV alone, though, as I said, 9,300 for a 77-inch OLED. I'm sure there's going to be people listening to my next segment where I'm going to talk about the LG OLEDs and prices as well. Uh, and the soundbar is another 2,100 as well. So you're looking at uh, 10K plus to combine the 77-inch OLED with a soundbar. But i got to say, together, they were amazing. Amazing experience, premium home entertainment experience. Great picture quality, great audio quality. Everything for that kind of money, of course, you'd expect that. But again, Samsung showing that even OLEDs they can make look really good. If you want to read our complete review, check it out at techguide.com.au. All right, now let's talk about Samsung's competition. I did mention in the previous segment about LG releasing their. It's the 10th anniversary of OLED. Uh, they're releasing their 10th generation of OLED TV technology, and uh, they've just released their 2023 range, which includes 15, count them, 15 new OLED models, which have all been given uh, really good upgrades. Uh, so the innovation and improvement is there. They've had 10 years' worth of OLED production, 
So they are back. Their, their OLEDs are better than ever, brighter than ever too, just, just quietly as well. Samsung would be keen to hear about that. I did, men- I did have a brief conversation with Tony Brown. Tony Brown's the marketing manager for home entertainment at LG Australia. And I did, I just, I did ask him. I just said, man, how do you feel about Samsung or introducing OLED? Is this sort of validate your technology? And he said, of course it does. Well, OLED's, according to LG, the best, the, the best you can have. Uh, and he said, well, but what they don't have, and is the ten years of innovation and technology that's gone into the TV. They're they're kind of back at generation one with this new version of OLED. So they they haven't had it over the years. They've only just reintroduced it. Whereas an LG TV, OLED TV, you're looking at there's 10 years of technology and development in that in that TV, which is something customers are going to really appreciate. The OLED range is the, the flagship is the LG OLED Evo G3 series. Uh, and also they do have, and we spoke about this, we saw this at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in January in Vegas. They also have the 97-inch LG Signature OLED M. That's the world's first TV, wireless TV, zero connect technology. The only cable running into that TV is the power. Everything else is from a, a box, separate box that can transmit to the TV in 4K at 120 hertz. So you gives you more freedom to place your TV in your home. So rather than you being limited to the area near the antenna or the where your entertainment unit is, you've got more options. You can put it against a wall that only has a PowerPoint, and the the boost that the the box can the zero connect box can then transmit across up to ten meters across the room, so and still provide four K at one hundred and twenty hertz, uh, even even wirelessly like that. It does give you a bit of freedom, but the. The, the OLED, of course, are the stars of the show when it comes to LG's TVs. They've got the, they've got the B range, uh, the, so the B series. They've also got the C series, which is kind of – the C series is their middle bread and butter range of, of, of OLEDs. B series is for the more affordable versions. And what improves with each of these classes – so B series will still be OLED technology, but not quite the same brightness level as the C – uh, it probably maybe have less HDMI ports. Uh, won't have, might have last year's Alpha processor. C3, the C series will have better brightness. I think 30% better brightness than the B series. More size uh, choices as well. C B only goes up to 77 inches. 6,500 is a 77 inch B. Uh, the 77 inch C is 6,799. So for an extra 300 bucks. You could go from B, a 77-inch B, to a 77-inch C. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be paying the extra 300 and going up to the C class. But the G, again, takes you, so it's different design, much thinner, flush wall-mount, again, 70% brighter. The G is 70% brighter than the B. And these are Evo panels that have the Alpha, the latest generation Alpha 9 processor, the Evo panel, all working together, produce this stunningly brilliant TV to the TV, the picture quality, um, and the M series are so the wireless TVs that we spoke about. No pricing on those yet. Now this is a 4K panel that is basically the same panel that's on the G series, but it is set up so that it you can use it has the wireless setup with the the Zero Connect box. So pricing for that. I've been told, 
will only be about 1,500 to 2,000 more than the G3 equivalent. So let's use the 83-inch G3 as an example here. The 83-inch G3 is $10,999. Let's call it $11,000. So what from what LG saying, the wireless M-series 83-inch should only cost about between $1,500 and $2,000 more than the G than the equivalent G-series. So not so it's not this ridiculously high-priced uh, foldable TV that costs over hundred grand. It's it's a bit more accessible because basically it's the same TV. They're just put not putting the the circuitry of the TV is in a box at the back of the room. It's still the it's still the, the that same circuitry is inside the G3. The difference with the M series is it's in a box outside the TV. So you're basically getting the same TV just with a slightly different design solution there. So that's good news, though. I think the M series uh, does come with its own legs, so you can actually have it freestanding in your room, up to ninety-seven inches, or you can have it wall-mounted. And you think about it, having a wireless a wireless TV, all you need is power. All you need to do is have the power, is have the the uh, maybe a power point just behind the TV. So rather than having the the issue with mounting a TV on a wall you got to drop all the cables down the wall. So all the ports are on the TV. So because this doesn't have the ports on the TV, it's in a separate box on the other side of the room, you could put a PowerPoint on the wall where you want to mount the M-series TV and you're done. That's all you need is power. The rest of the stuff comes from the Zero Connect box. So the LG, of course, not only have uh, the OLED TV, so they're kind of going backwards here. So OLED is the flagship for LG, and QNED are the other affordable 4K TVs, the, the more affordable TVs. So that's their LED TV range. They're obviously not quite uh, – they're, they're cheaper than the OLED TVs. See, Samsung went the opposite way. OLED's still expensive, but the QLEDs are the stars of the show. So it's, it is uh, interesting to see how they're doing that. By the way, I've got full list of the models of the the LG OLEDs and QNEDs and pricing and when they're going to be in store, uh, all on on Tech Guide. If you want to take a deep dive, all the sizes that are available as well. What LG also announced were their lifestyle TVs. They had the LG Pose, uh, which is like a freestanding OLED. They had the LG Easel, which is like a really arty looking uh, OLED that can be leaned up against the wall. And with a like a fabric that can come up and actually cover most of the TV, they've also got a uh, the Stand by Me. It's called this portable screen. It's Stand by Me, not Stand Stand S T A N by Me. And this is basically a 27 inch LED monitor, smart TV slash monitor that you can actually take anywhere in the room. It's got a rechargeable battery in the base. The base is really heavy, so it's not going to tip over, but you can literally wheel it from room to room and enjoy streaming services, mirror your phone on it. It, it does move to portrait and landscape mode. So that, that's, a, that's a couple of thousand just on its own. The, uh, the Stand By Me is $1,999 coming out in July. The Easel, the really arty TV, that's $13,000. Uh, the Pose or the Pose Say is $3,500. The Pose Say is a little bit like Samsung's Serif TV, which stands on its own legs and looks good front or back. So if you've got like, you might have an apartment where you use the TV as a divider, a, a room divider, then the back of the TV doesn't look too bad. Even the cables are concealed and you can even, there's a little shelf to put books and your remote controls on the back of it. So it looks quite good front or back. 
That is the LG range. If you want to take a deeper dive and get into those prices, you know where to go. Techguide.com.au. Well, Prime Video have just announced a an interesting new accessibility feature that I've had so much positive reaction to when I posted it on Tech Guide. It's called Dialogue Boost. And as its name suggests, it gives you a way to make the dialogue louder without it being overpowering, being overpowered by the background music and effects. So if you're watching a movie and just and it happens, you, you can't. What do you say? You can't hear it because all the other stuff's going on. Dialogue Boost allows you to select the dialogue volume level. So any device that you can access Prime Video on, you can get into the settings and adjust it. Now it is it is only available for a handful of shows at the moment. They are making more and more available to for you to to boost, but. At the moment, you can do it. Some of the Amazon originals with Dialogue Boost are Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and Harlem. Supported movies include The Big Sick, Beautiful Boy, and Being the Ricardos. There's going to be way more, but if you want to try it out, you can just do that. So what you do, you select the movie or the TV show you want to watch, and it'll tell you where the Dialogue Boost is available. You click on the top right-hand corner and then get into the the audio uh, settings and you can then select uh, the your choices will be English dialogue boost medium or dialogue boost high. So you're in control there. So you can hear more. You can hear what they're saying. Hey, what did he say again? You got to rewind a few a few seconds to hear that again. And that's a problem I've heard with uh, on many from many platforms. And it's also a feature that was seen now on smart TVs. They deliberately put in a dialogue boost in there. So that center channel, if you've got a home theater system, you know what I'm talking about. Center channel is where the voices come from. Reason it's the center channel is because when people are talking on the screen, their voices need to appear to be coming from the screen. And that's why it's called the center channel. That's why the voices come that way. But I think you are going to hear more about this where TVs are addressing this issue and now Prime Video is doing the same thing. If you want to see that for yourself, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. If your home demands superior Wi-Fi, treat it with a masterpiece in connectivity. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6E from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6E is the first and only Wi-Fi 6 quad band whole home mesh system opening an exclusive all-new 6 gigahertz superhighway that's fine-tuned to deliver unprecedented Wi-Fi speeds and smoother streaming simultaneously across the smart homes of today and tomorrow. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Wi-Fi 6E, the fastest Wi-Fi ever. Find out more at netgear.com.au forward slash best Wi-Fi. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. Yes, the Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by our great mates at Belkin. Belkin have just announced they are choosing Australia as the very first market to receive their PCR products. So these are products made from post-consumer recycled plastic, better for the planet, 
don't they don't look any different to to what the normal plastic version, the virgin plastic version does. Uh, but and and work the same way, look the same way, but they're not going to end up in landfill. So they're really trying to improve their sustainability. And Australia is going to be the first market to get them. So you'll be you'll be able to buy power banks uh, and USB hubs, car chargers at first, but it will extend to the entire range. And that range includes, of course, uh, the the different multi-port docks and earbuds, charging pads, magnet MagSafe products, wireless car chargers, three-in-one chargers. So it is eventually going to get to the whole range. But for now, you can buy some, and Australia is the first place you can get them. Now, the help desk, uh, I did get an interesting uh, question from a reader. She was asking, and it was a very good question she asked. She said, look, I've got the iPhone 6. I know it's an old phone. Uh, I don't think I should improve, just get the battery replaced because I do want to have the latest software updates. So she was aware that Apple continually update their software and that the oldest phones, of course, they drop off the list. So we're going to see iOS 17 this year. So maybe the iPhone 7 or even 8 might not be able to handle the latest version. So she she said, well, how about how about an iPhone 11? Is that I said if I, iPhone 11, you'll be able to run the latest software for the next five years. So good choice. So it does give her phone a, a bit of uh, future proofing her purchase, which I thought a great question to ask. It's not only just the pure age of the phone, but she was savvy enough to know that look, I want these software updates. I need these software updates. Often the software updates, of course, make the device better and also more secure. And she was well aware of that. That is our show for this week. Thank you so much for hanging around till the end. If you need to find out about anything we've spoken about on the show, you can find it and look at it in more detail at techguide.com.au. And please get in touch. If you want to get in touch, email us info at techguide.com.au or click the Ask Stephen icon and that will open up a form that will end up in my inbox. We also want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family, and your devices safe online. Please support the great sponsors who support the Tech Guide podcast. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 